You would turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13 then. We began a study there last Sunday evening. I looked at the first three verses. I'd like to look at the first part of verse 4 tonight. Love suffers long and is kind. 1 Corinthians 13, known as the love chapter. We'll read the whole chapter through again tonight. First Corinthians 13 at verse 1, the word of the Lord. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's ask for God's help, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this revelation of yourself in Christ Jesus. And we pray that you would impress in your mold yourself and your pattern upon our lives We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you give us this fruit of love. Speak to us by your word. Convict us, Lord, of our sin. Challenge us in our weakness. Encourage us, O Lord, in our hopelessness, that we, walking in the power of the Lord Jesus, might become more like him. In his name we pray, amen. Well, it's a strikingly beautiful chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Someone has written, on our best days we long to give this love, and on our worst days, we long to receive it, right? We would love to be a people, more patient, more kind, and when unexpectedly we receive unusual patience or kindness shown to us, it's what's marvelous. The writer says, these instances of love reinstate hope in the face of hopelessness. They breathe life into lifeless situations. They make life more human, more alive. Even unbelievers recognize the beauty of 1 Corinthians 13. Not only the beauty of its poetry, but the beauty of its nobility. 
to live such a life as this. But we recognize, we began to see last Sunday night, that before this chapter is, is encouraging, it's also deeply humiliating. Because this chapter, as we noted, is planted firmly between chapters 12 and 14, where the apostles discussing spiritual gifts and the misuse of them among the Corinthians, who had become remarkably selfish in their use of gifts, prophesying, and especially tongue-speaking, in which they were consumed with their own egos. And that's not all. There were a multitude of, of difficulties in the Corinthian congregation. There were those divisions. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. Those fractions. There were, there were people taking to each other in a court, apparently, suing each other. How do you like to worship next to the guy you have a lawsuit against? There were Lord's Supper fractures. The rich having a feast. And the poor being left out. And there was this spiritual gift misuse. And so the chapter is humiliating. Someone suggested that if you take out in those verses that come after our text tonight, love is patient, love is kind, then they all have a bunch of knots. Love does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up. If you take out the knots, you end up with a pretty good description of what the Corinthians were like. The Corinthians envy, the Corinthians are puffed up, the Corinthians are rude. And maybe that could be said of us sometimes as well. But if we acknowledge our sin, as the Lord exposes it to us, the chapter becomes remarkably encouraging when we realize that God has given us this word. Because it means there's hope, right? There's hope. If God looked upon a hateful and hating world and and there was nothing he was going to do with it, he was going to leave it to itself, he would not give 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians is the news that God is pleased to create a new human race, a new humanity, that God is pleased through Jesus Christ to remake a people who became like the devil, and he wants to remake them as his own children. And so it's deeply encouraging. This chapter is pursuing the church, but it's also holding before the church a hope. In fact, one day we will be entirely like this, entirely like our God. God pours out his love in our hearts to remake us and to refit us. And I think those words of first, excuse me, of Titus chapter 3 are remarkable to remember as we think of 1 Corinthians 13 because Titus tells us in chapter 3, verse 3, or Paul writes to Titus, that we ourselves also used to be those who served our lusts and pleasures, those who lived in malice and envy, those who hated, were hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, he saved us. And he washed us. And he renewed us. And that love and kindness of God, he stamps upon our lives by his Spirit. Let's look tonight at the calling towards love and patience, or rather patience and kindness. I'd like to look at those first words of uh, verse 4, love suffers long and is kind, and to know, first of all, love's description, secondly, love's patience, and thirdly, love's kindness. Before we look at patience and kindness, I'm going to say uh, four things as kind of an introduction to that. Number one, these characteristics that we have here are probably not the Apostle Paul seeking to set out a comprehensive and abstract summary of what love is. 
but are probably brought up in his mind as he thinks about the Corinthian situation. These 15 characteristics, as Paul shifts back and forth between saying what love is and what love is not and what love is, he's thinking about a a people, a congregation. And he's bringing forth characteristics, highlights that are especially relevant to their lives. He's not just pulling us out of thin air. Secondly, notice that what the Apostle Paul gives us here are 15 verbs. Now, we tend to define love in terms of feelings, right, and emotions. That's how love is defined in our culture. But there's nothing in these characteristics of love, verses 4 through 7, that is mere sentiment or mere feeling. It's all action, action and behavior. So even the sermon title tonight is a bit misleading. The English translation, love is patient, love is kind. So I memorized the verses originally. That's the title I used. The New King James is actually a bit more accurate because it translates the first one as a verb, love suffers long. But it translates the next one as an adjective, is kind, where it might rather be read, is showing kindness. You get the point. They're, they're not adjectives. They're verbs. And so there's 15 of them here showing us that love is dynamic. It's not merely a disposition, an attitude, but it is the pursuit of good towards our neighbor. Aren't we glad tonight that God's love is not mere sentiment or feeling, that God in heaven feels loving, but his love is that he acted towards us in Christ. Well, thirdly, moving on more specifically to to, to patience and kindness, you notice that these are, are two sides of a coin, really, that, that patience is the passive side, it's, it's forbearance, it's bearing the wrong, and kindness is the active side, it's doing good to the one who has wronged us. And so these go together. They go together in our God, they go together in love. And then fourthly, notice, or keep this in mind tonight, that, that what's being recommended to us here is God himself. God is patient, God is kind, God is love. Our culture believes they're entitled to define love according to their own imaginations, but we actually know what love is because we know God who is love. And in Romans 2 verse 4, these two things, patience and kindness, are spoken of together when the Apostle Paul, in preaching to the self-righteous Jews who reject Christ, he says in Romans 2.4, Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? God is remarkably kind. God is remarkably forbearing and patient. And God is calling us to be like himself tonight. So let's look in detail now about patience and then about kindness. Patience, what does it mean? Why was helped by this statement that I read this week. Love is patient. That is, Love is bearing up with whatever it takes to go on serving Christ and his body. 
Love is bearing up with whatever it takes to go on serving Christ and his body. I like that statement because it situates the patience here in the context of church life, which is where this text is found. Paul is setting forth to a very dysfunctional family, the Corinthian family, something that's incredibly lacking, namely the grace to bear up with whatever it takes to go on serving Christ and Christ's people. Well, what do you have to bear up with? You have to bear up with many things, right, to, to go on. Week after week, serving brothers and sisters. You have to, to bear up with the wrongs done to you, those acute injuries, but you have to bear up with the fact that, that you're surrounded by people. People have weaknesses and people have needs and people may appear to be in your way of what your heart wants. Both those kinds of ideas are found in the word patience here. It's actually, uh, when you have in the New King James here, love suffers long, or in the Old King James, it reads, charity suffereth long. Charity suffers long. It's actually a bit more reflective of the Greek word because the Greek word is a compound word. The first word meaning long or extended, and the second word having to do with, with either desires or with wrath. So, so on the one hand, the word could be translated suffers long, or it's the very opposite of somebody who's short-tempered. He's long-tempered, or it could deal more generally with extension in terms of delaying the fulfillment of our desires, waiting on others. Well, think of the first of bearing injuries, the, the idea of patience in terms of willing to bear the wrongs that have been done to you without being incensed or incited or lashing out. Proverbs 19.11 says, God, excuse me, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. James 1, 19 and 20 reads, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, the Lord revealed himself as slow to anger early on in the history of this people. This morning we, we talked about Mount Sinai. We read Exodus 19 and 20. But you know, following that awesome revelation of God, what did the people do? They made an idol, the golden calf. Moses, you know, comes down from the mountain and he shatters the tablets of the law. But God doesn't give up on his people. He calls Moses to get a couple more tablets and to come back up the mountain And then you read in Exodus 34, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed. This is is Jehovah intoning his own name. The Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger. That's how it begins. The Lord proclaiming his own name. And what does he say of himself? I'm slow to anger. God's people would often fail to reflect God. Remember in 1 Samuel 25 when David sends some men to Nabal, this wealthy man whose shepherds had worked out where David in the wilderness and his men were. 
And David and his men had, had been a shield to them, had protected them, had never stolen from them. And so David sends his men and says, I, I know you're shearing your sheep. It's festive time. Could you give us a little food? And Nabal says to David's men, who's David? You know, lots of guys break away from the king these days. I'm not supposed to just give my food to every foolish man. And when David hears the report, his young men come back with the report, he says, strap on your swords. And David and 400 men set off to slaughter Nabal and all the men of his household. But you remember Nabal's wife, Abigail, hears about it from a servant, and she brings food, and she stops David, and she says, the Lord is stopping you from bloodshed. The Lord is, is stopping you from this. The Lord will exalt you. Don't do this. David's taken aback and said, if you had not, if you had not come, there would be no male left in Nabal's house by morning. We would have slaughtered him. David acted with fury, and the Lord had mercy to stop him. But, but you know, the long-suffering spoken of here is not just that rage is reduced because we see the consequences so bad, but the long-suffering is that for the sake of the other person, not just for the sake of my, my own situation, but for the sake of my brother or sister, I'm willing to bear this for their good, to endure injury without retaliation. It's remarkable, I think, that the Apostle Paul begins here. When he, when he begins to speak about what love is, the first thing he says is that it's patient, it, it's long-suffering. He must have looked at the Corinthian congregation and seen a battered and bloodied and bruised heap of people. You know, when a body acts with great selfishness, it's a lot of injuries, a lot of wounds. You can imagine how it was there in the Corinthian congregation. I was thinking this week, what would it be like to be a church visitor to that church? Supposed to work on the peace there. Where would you begin? They'd wronged each other in so many ways. Must have been a lot of people thinking about payback. And the Apostle Paul begins by saying, lay it aside. Bear the insult, the injustice. Quick anger does not arise from a deep humility before God and a recognition of the mercy is shown to us, but anger arises from an inflated ego, a sense of self-importance. And before the grace of God lavished upon us in Christ, this lack of patience, this lack of long-suffering is shameful. In Matthew 18, remember Jesus tells the parable of a king who went to settle accounts and and one man's called in. He owes this insurmountable debt and he begs with, with the king. Remember what he says? So he begs with him. Master says that he's to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he has. And the the servant falls down saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay it all. The master's moved with compassion. He releases him of the dead. And then he, he goes out and finds a fellow servant who owes him next to nothing, right? And he grabs him by the neck and the fellow servant says, Have patience with me and I will pay you. But he would not and threw him into prison. Quite a story, of course, because we recognize that the king who showed the patience is our God. And we recognize that the one who wouldn't show patience is, is us. 
Patience of God is glorious, isn't it? The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he will, he will describe what he was, right? He will describe what he was. I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. Just the man who, who sought to wipe out the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. The persecutor of the church is redeemed to be held up as a pattern of the long-suffering of our God that sinners might have hope that there is a God full of mercy and forbearance. God endures so much. Patience is called for in the midst of acute injury, but we need patience in a more general way with all kinds of things, don't we? With all the, the, the weaknesses of others, all the needs of others, all the space that others occupy. We can be very impatient, can't we? With, with the person in line ordering before us who can't get their order together, with the car driving too slow in front of us. It's a struggle. Patience is a struggle of mind, I know. But the Corinthians were acting in hasty ways, wanting to push others out of the way. Can't wait in the Lord's Supper for the poor people to come. Let's just have our feast as the rich on our own. Can't discuss our doctrine. Just grab labels. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. No room to ponder what differences we might have or where we might find unity in the truth together. No working things out. Just a lawsuit. Not waiting for someone else to exercise their spiritual gift or speak, but chapter 14 suggests that worship service was a chaotic situation of people in tongues speaking on top of each other, prophesying over top of each other. Paul says, no. Maybe a couple of you, in order, with interpreters. For God is a God of peace and order. Patience means to bear with others. And even if they have weaknesses that are distasteful and prolonged or sinful, or if they lack in Christian graces or maturity, as we all do. Paul tells the Thessalonians to honor their church leaders. And then he writes, seemingly to church leaders, 1 Thessalonians 5, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. What a word to, to elders in the church. Be patient with all. Now, of course, there's a difference between procrastination and patience, isn't there? Patience is purposeful. Procrastination is not. Patience is loving. Procrastination is unloving. Patience realizes that the right timing 
is a big part of pastoral work. Procrastination does not. God is patient, but he doesn't procrastinate. We're called to recognize, if we put on patience, that our God has created us as creatures of time. And that he's the ruler of time. And though God is outside of time, he's not bound by time, we are. We live in a succession of moments. We're creatures and not gods. And so the processes of thinking and learning and growing and understanding and sanctification take time. And patience is to take the long view. Though our sinful hearts and though the world is into instantaneous solutions and instant cures, the way God works in his church and the way God works in our lives is patiently. Now, we need wisdom to know what patience means, especially against procrastination or anything else. Parents need patience, don't they? And they need to be able to determine when it's patience and when it's negligence, when they're choosing not to address what their child just said, because patience says, no, we just dealt with something else, let that go for the moment. Whereas negligence says, I don't want to deal with that, I want to do what I want to do right now. And so we have to ask God for wisdom, don't we? We need much wisdom to discern the difference. But our God is a God of wisdom, and he is a God of patience. In fact, it's a wonder what Galatians 4.4 says, that when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, right? Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. When the fullness of time, that fullness of time was not till Luke chapter 2. The fullness of time was not when Adam and Eve sinned. No, God would have to bear with them. The fullness of time was not when God saved Noah and his family. No, they come off the ark and Noah gets drunk. The fullness of time was, was not when God redeemed his people out of Egypt. No, they wander in the wilderness and they grumble and they complain. The fullness of time was not when God brought his people into the land of Canaan in the days of the judges and everyone did what was right in his own eyes and God bore with that. The fullness of time was... Not yet when David committed adultery and murder. Fullness of time was not yet when God exiled his people to the land of captivity. All this God bore with, all the insults, all the offenses. What a God of forbearance as you read the scriptures. Long suffering with the sins of his people. And what a God who's born with us. What a God who is born with us in our sins. It's good to count the blessings and name them one by one. It's also good to count the failures and the long-suffering of God towards us. Day after day after day. In the fullness of time, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, You want to talk about long-suffering, experiencing opposition, misunderstood by his family, disappointed by his disciples, spit upon, beaten, Christ bearing it all.
Patience is to know the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? Patience is to know the Savior who has shown grace to sinners like us. Patience is to learn to wait on the Lord and to know that God is in control. That nothing is done to me by others without God seeing and knowing and ruling over all of it and promising to work it to my good. And while we are limited by time and feel like it's racing by too quickly, the Bible assures us that God makes all things beautiful in his time. So long-suffering and patience are to wait upon the Lord through Christ. But then the other side, if, if patience is the passive side, then the active side, notice it next, is kindness. Kindness. Now commentators point out something very interesting, that that this is actually the only place in the Bible, and I think, it, I think I read it's even the first place in any written document that survives, the first place in any extent written document, that kindness is used as a verb. The word kind or kindness are found in, in other places, but Paul uses a verb to show kindness. Some people think he made it up himself. And indeed, it's interesting, isn't it, how vocabulary changes when the revelation of kindness comes into the world, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if patience is to to bear the insult, kindness is to pay back the insulter with goodness, with mercy, with love. It's a godlike quality, the Puritan Thomas Manton says. And do you remember 1 Peter 3? Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure, pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is kind. Kind. So on the one hand, Paul says to this congregation that's fractured, that's divided, that's full of self and ego, he says, Be patient, bear with each other, suffer long. But he says that's not enough. Now look at the one who's in your way, in your mind, or look at the one who hurts you, and be kind. The early church father Chrysostom, called Golden Mouth for his eloquent preaching, said, love breaks the spiral of anger and resentment by showing kindness. Not only by enduring nobly, but also by soothing and comforting do they cure the sore and heal the wound of passion. Didn't the Apostle Paul know that the fact of the power of love revealed in kindness, that it might itself begin to repair the fractures in the Corinthian congregation, Wounded hearts and feud between, feuds between members and, and coldness that had set in for a very long winter might be ejected if even one of the parties of the quarrel might show kindness. Reminds us of Romans chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul is saying that we ought not to repay evil for evil. And then he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
overcome evil with good. What a wonderful path the Holy Spirit commends to us here. He counsels us not just to put up with wrongs, but to go out of our way to show goodness. Now our ego protests, hey, he doesn't deserve it. But the Spirit responds, neither do you. Neither do you. And we take God's blessings for granted oftentimes and we get rather used to them. But it's when we know we've sinned and our heart, our heart is broken and is ashamed. And then we come home and our wife is still smiling at us and, and there's a delicious supper. Our kids are, are delighted to see us and we think, wow, I deserve none of this. God sends us a sermon that cheers our heart. Or a brother or sister greets us. And the congregation tells us they're glad to see us. And we think, I deserve none of this. It's out of that experience that we are to love others with patience and kindness, even our enemies. That Puritan Thomas Manton said, to return good for good and evil for evil, the pagans do that. To return evil for good... The demons do that, but to return good for evil, that's the work of Christians. We are to show kindness, just like with patience, not just in places where we've been wronged, but also in more general ways. Recognizing that everyone we meet in this world carries a heavy load. When we're driving down the road sometimes, we may be upset with the driver in front of us, a 90-year-old man who's going too slow. We wonder why he doesn't get a move on, but we don't think about the fact that he's not comfortable driving at a higher speed. And actually, if he was driving at a higher speed, you wouldn't be comfortable. Or maybe we don't think about the fact he actually would love to give up his license, but none of his children or grandchildren have enough time for him. You see, when we're overwhelmed in the car, we just got some bad news or we're late for the appointment and somebody lets us in in traffic, we're grateful for that. We've got a need. We've got a burden. But somehow when we drive sometimes, we think nobody else has any needs or burdens but me. And sometimes it's that way in the church, isn't it? Know the burden we bear, but what about the hidden sorrows and unhealed wounds, unbeknownst to us and the one who sits beside us or in front of us or behind us, who could use kindness? Warmth, generosity, thoughtfulness. Helpfulness, concern, care, kindness. And how will we as the church show it to the world if we don't learn it at home, first of all, in the congregation of Christ, and also if God grants in the Christian household? Am I responding to others with the same tender heart and forgiveness that God has shown to me in Christ Jesus? It's one thing to say, well, I didn't give him any grief. I didn't insult him. I wasn't rude. But Christ would say, were you kind? Did you go out of your way to do him good, to speak a word of cheer, 
to be concerned about his needs, to be helpful. I didn't choose this passage to preach on because I thought there was some great need in IRC. It's actually kind of the opposite. Sort of studying it each week now and thinking, I'm not sure exactly why I chose it because actually what I read of here is, by God's grace, so visibly evident. I don't see envy, puffed up people, grateful for the humility, for the love, for the kindness, for the patience, which I've been a recipient and many of you have as well. I'm not exactly sure why I chose the chapter other than I was looking for a short series and I was attracted to it, I think mostly for myself. I loathe my impatience, pray to be more kind. But there are beautiful displays of kindness in the Church of Christ, and some of them are just outstanding, aren't there? Remember when I was in seminary, single man, studies were pretty overwhelming. I'd go to church on Sunday. Actually, I was going to the church wherever Marcus is now, the Oak Glen congregation in Lansing, Illinois. And there's a few ladies in that congregation, wives, mothers, who, who go out of the way to greet some of us seminarians with a smile and to inquire about our studies and to invite us over. And the kindness that was shown. Look back on that, it was so remarkable. I, I really can't imagine having made it through seminary without those cheerful, smiling faces on Sundays. There's some in our own congregation who are exuberant in kindness. These things should be marked and studied and imitated. The graciousness of God revealed in his people. And yet we can't just resolve to be more kind, can we? Fresh resolutions will be met with fresh failures. It's not a matter of I just need to choose to be more kind. We need something more than that. We need God's love in Christ. Beloved, let us love one another for Love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We study the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we see such kindness, don't we? Such compassion upon bodies that are broken, upon parents who bring children that are possessed by the devil, upon a widow who loses her only son, upon an older lady who's been bleeding for years, upon the poor and desperate, even upon the rich and the selfish, Jesus was kind and forbearing. And he is our resource, the fruit of his spirit, the fruit of Christ's spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So we must pray for Christ to live in us. And to say with the Apostle Paul, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And in that, then the world begins to say, who are these people? The second century, Christians surprised the pagans around them by their kindness. So one writer says that according to Tertullian, they called Christians 
Not Christiani, Christian, but Christiani, kindness. Made up of kindness. We sometimes look down on those who've substituted the truth of the gospel for kindness. And churches that have seemingly abandoned the truth and in its place just talk about being nice. But the solution to that is not to cling to the truth and be unkind to people. But in clinging to the truth to know Jesus Christ. To walk in his kindness. And if we do that, then the world begins to see, don't they? It's sad of the early church father, Augustine, the greatest theologian of the early church, right, whose who's thinking about free grace still influences us tremendously today. But remember, he was a godless man. But he came into contact with Ambrose, bishop. And what drew him to Ambrose was, first of all, the kindness that Ambrose showed to him. Kindness. Could we as the people of God be more kind to each other and learning it at home then to the world? The world might wonder what this is. Love I've never seen before. I've heard about the word kind and kindness, but I've never seen kind as an action verb showing kindness, demonstrating it. Not a love, that sentiment, mere expression, oh, I do love him, but a love that's revealed in deeds. By the concern we have for those we meet, by the smile we give them, by the inquiry about their life, by the helpfulness, by the way we speak to them and about others in front of them. What a wonder to be the people of Jesus Christ. Not simply, gloriously, Christiani, Christian, but to be Christiani, made up of mildness and kindness. Amen. Our Father in heaven, how we thank you for your great love for us in Christ Jesus, for your forbearance, with all the ways we've insulted you, rejected you, despised you, trampled upon your commandments and for your kindness, for all the ways you've reached out to us, fed us, nourished us, smiled upon us. Well, God, we pray that in Jesus Christ that you would make us after yourself, and that the world may see in us the glory of our Savior. In his name we pray, amen.